You're listening to Florida Capital Conversations, a podcast series brought to you by Holland and Knight's Tallahassee office. Each episode of this series will take a look at the many different aspects of state and local government through the lens of our experienced legal professionals. Our hosts, Nate Adams and Mia McCown, have a wide range of Florida governmental experience and offer a seat at the table to everyone who listens to these candid conversations. Welcome to our Florida Capital Conversations podcast series. Today, our subject is healthcare, and our guests, Shannon Hartsfield, Eddie Williams, and even Mia McCallan, my co host today, are uh, healthcare attorneys. My name is Nathan Adams. I'm a partner with the law firm of Holland and Knight, and Mia, uh, she is also a partner with Holland and Knight. We're so pleased that you have joined us today to consider another important issue associated with state government affecting the business community and our daily lives as Floridians. There's none better than our guest today to kick off our discussion on healthcare, something that is in the forefront of all discussions today because of the pandemic uh, and all the other things that are going on in Florida in the healthcare space. So uh, let me start off uh, by introducing Mia. Hi, Nate. I'm glad we're talking about something that is up my alley today, although I've been interested in some of the other topics that we've covered. Um, definitely, I think healthcare, as you mentioned, it's something that's in our face constantly, literally, with a face mask and everything else. And not only do we have to live it with COVID, we have a greater appreciation, I think, for all the different entities and healthcare professionals, which we regulate. And then also we deal with it from our pocketbook, everybody's health insurance costs, all the things that we pay for. And I think some of the things that we're going to learn from Shannon and Eddie with a lot of the regulations that are in place, all those things cost money and drive cost. So they all, you know, end up intertwining in all of our lives. We can't get away from health care no matter how we cut it. So I'm glad to be here today and so glad that Shannon and Eddie could join us. Yeah, well, we are also thankful for healthcare workers and all of those who are working so dil- diligently and uh, throughout uh, unbelievable hours through all this pandemic. Uh, so what a great topic to talk about today. Uh, let me just start off with a really simple question for, uh, for Shannon and for Eddie, whoever wants to join in. Mia, feel free to, whichever you wants to answer this question. What tends to trip up healthcare companies that want to do business in Florida? Well, one of the biggest uh, issues that tends to, tends to trip up uh, businesses is they assume that Florida's uh, health care regulatory environment is similar to other states, and that is completely wrong, completely false. Uh, Florida is much more aggressive and much more um, protective than other states, and so the regulatory hurdles that companies have to go through in order to get a license to start a business in the state uh, in the healthcare arena, it's very complex, and they have to understand, you know, such things as uh, timing, deadlines, and things of that nature. Um, and they don't really appreciate the timing factor when they're trying to build that into their business plans. For instance, if they're trying to open up an assistant living facility, and there is a new construction project, they need to understand the timing for when they have to submit their applications, which generally is 60 days prior to the proposed effective date when they want to open their doors. However, again, under the law, 
you know, you have to factor in there certain regulatory inspections and things of that nature that they have to have as part of their application. Also, if, with the new environment, uh, living in Florida now, everybody know we have hurricanes. In the recent years, we have a generator requirement for assisted living facilities and nursing homes. So I have to have those plans approved by the local emergency management agency. And they have to have all of that as part of the application process. And if they don't have it, then that's where clients tend to get in trouble because once ACA starts reviewing the application, 99% of the time they're gonna issue an admission notice. And once they do that, you have 21 days to respond with the requested information. Sometimes an analyst may be generous and will give you an extension, but for the most part, if they are really backed up, they're going to stick to the statutory requirements and issue you a notice of intent to deny that application if you don't comply with that time frame. So that's just some of the um, things that clients have to be on notice about. Um, it's not the end of the day if you do get a notice of intent to deny your application. That's where we bring me a um, into the equation as she handles a lot of our administrative proceedings on the healthcare side. Yeah, what we find so much with that is because the statute, Nate, as you know, and Shannon is so ticky tacky, you have to do something by a certain timeline. And if you don't meet those dates, the agency really has no flexibility. So once you get to the notice of intent to deny process, the, although it drives Shannon crazy and makes her nervous because she doesn't like getting those type of notices or her clients getting them, it takes the time clock off and gives you the ability to, um, Eddie and I, he's got a great relationship with the folks over at ACA. And we also, you know, we'll meet with the people, have a conversation to make sure that we know exactly what they need, that we're getting, and usually a lot of it revolves around financial information, which is highly technical, um, but easily fixable. And so the agency folks over at Department of Health, Agency for Healthcare Administration, where I think we're personally really lucky here in the state of Florida because they're all good folks and easy to work with and they work really hard. In fact, I mean, Shannon and Eddie will know who I'm talking about. I got sent an email last night to one of the attorneys over at ACA and he was still there at midnight working. Um, Tom was still working there. So we're, we're fortunate to have them. But again, it's the, the clients too, and then I'll be quiet, but the all those regulatory bodies that Eddie was talking about, what we find is, you know, they're, they're struggling to make sure they get their CO, that the, biz, that the building is finished, that they have all their staff in place, that they've got the generator that takes all kinds of different entities to approve. And so they come to us and they're like, okay, we want to open next week. And Eddie, I mean, nothing can, it can kill a moment on a telephone call when Eddie's like, well, first of all, you're already late with filing your application. And then when we go through the process of the rigmarole um, of how long it takes and if your application isn't perfect, which they're going to find something wrong with it because it justifies their existence, um, it's, it's sometimes a little shocking because I think in other states, what Eddie was referring to, it's really more of a pay a fee and submit a written document. And that's not how it is in Florida. You've got to be prepared. And one of the best things to do, we always encourage clients um, that if they're thinking of coming to Florida, it's a good idea to sit down and have a roadmap and a lay of the land of what you're going to have to do in advance. And so that's always a good idea. 
For sure. I have so many clients that come to me and say, Shannon, we do business in all 50 states. We've never had a problem until we get to Florida. And uh, do you think welcome? <laughs> welcome to Florida. I mean, there's there's some reasons for that. Health uh, healthcare is a huge industry in Florida. We obviously have a lot of retirees. We also unfortunately have a lot of healthcare fraud. We've had a lot of problems with fraud in the past. And so I think some of our regulations that people would perceive as burdensome are rooted in, you know, for very, very good reasons. Something that people might not realize when they start doing business in Florida is that healthcare entities can be regulated by multiple state agencies. There is the Agency for Healthcare Administration. There's the Department of Health. There is um, the uh, Department of Elder Affairs. There is the Office of Insurance Regulation. And there's my favorite, the Department of Business and Professional Regulation, which deals with things like veterinarians and wholesale distribution of drugs. Florida is, uh, I in my view, probably the state that regulates wholesale distribution of drugs more than just about any other state. And there are some very good folks in Tallahassee who make sure that our drug supply chain is safe. Uh, but we do a lot of our work in that area. So um, Florida is, is you, you've got to come in with your eyes open and you have got to come in with a commitment to compliance because we definitely have a lot of laws and rules that you have to think about. And I think that's a thing, although you do get sometimes lost with the bureaucracy, but I think Shannon, you have a really good point. It is about safety and that's what they're driven by to make sure that the companies are doing the right thing, that they're financially stable, all of it looking to protect the consumer, which Florida is big on. Contrary to what people think about in the media and how they portray Florida, um, Florida is very conscientious and I think does a good job in this space. Right, and, and but there are a lot of pitfalls in Florida. Um, we have fraud abuse laws that are different than the federal corollaries. Um, just because you don't bill Medicare and Medicaid doesn't mean that your marketing arrangement is going to be fine in Florida because we have the Florida Patient Brokering Act. Just, just a lot of things like that. Um, some things are totally not intuitive. Um, for example, your your organization might need a healthcare clinic license from the Agency for Healthcare Administration. And oh, by the way, it might need a healthcare clinic establishment permit from the Department of Business and Professional Regulation, which are two totally separate permits from two totally separate state agencies. They have nothing to do with each other. So um, it can be complicated for sure. Yeah, I, I just want to reiterate that just because you're exempt from licensure from one agency doesn't mean that you're exempt or the, uh, a similar license from another agency based upon the same business operation. So it can be very complex. All right, so if I want to get a permit to operate a healthcare entity in Florida, what are some of the things that I need to consider? Well, one immediately you need to consider is whether you need a certificate of need for that particular uh, healthcare facility. Uh, for example, in the state of Florida, hospice, as well as some skilled nursing facilities, yeah. um, you may have to have a, a certificate of need in order to uh, operate that facility. And you have to go through the process, which Mia, Mia can tell you about. Also, if you have competitors in the market who want to contest that certificate of need, then you may have to go through a hearing process as well again. So the certificate of need process can be very complex. And that's one of the initial things you need to consider as will it, that impact the type of business that you want to try to operate in the state. And a lot of the other things I think we touched on um, about the that Eddie already touched upon the the 
they have deadlines like they don't you can't apply for a license and then have it sit there for two three years before you operate they're very specific on timing and when they will receive it there are penalties if you miss the deadline also depending on what type of entity that you are nate a lot of people um, in some states for example you you always talk about i'm going to the doctor's office you're going to go to the doctor's office and you think that it's you know all the doctors in town you know operate together like we do as lawyers well in florida they allow businesses the the corporate practice of, of medicine and shannon can talk about this a little bit more because she helps a lot of those businesses that are corporate practice which is a little bit different and again gets into a lot of different licensings and components and insurance and medicare and medicaid so um there's so much and then the other thing and again not i want to backtrack on the certificate of need which is a little bit interesting florida used to be highly regulated in that space hospitals almost any large facility that wanted to open in florida had to go through a certificate of need process um a couple of legislative i think they started that process you guys like in 1973 i know y'all weren't born but i was in first grade um, that they started that highly regulated space in the state and then two sessions ago they deregulated a lot of that hospitals no longer require a certificate of need and the logic behind that it does make a lot of sense if you are going to invest the hundreds of millions of dollars that it's going to take to build a hospital um you are going to be doing the the research the analysis whether there's a need or you're not going to be spending that type of money so that was some of the the thought process in that but that but there there is still hanging on to some components for the certificate of need for hospice and skilled nursing and again it's another very ticky tacky process you have to make sure that you have applied or submitted the right documents there are four or five different components that deadlines that you have to meet and so those are also a good thing that when you're coming to florida you don't just get to build a skilled nursing home you've got to make sure you go through the process and a lot of folks um when they as shannon said i i do this in lots of other states and it's just it's a very different beast in the state i think this is only the second time this year that i've heard the word ticky tacky used and I've heard it in, in this half hour twice. How cool is that? And it's all it's all me. Um, <laughs> that's because I'm from originally from Imperial Polk County, so um, that's where that comes from. Very good, Shannon. Tell us a little bit more about corporate practice of medicine. What that means? Well, the, the idea behind it is that a corporation uh, is not a human that can go out and get a medical license. So in a lot of states, a corporation cannot practice medicine, so to speak, and uh, you cannot just go out and, and start a general business corporation and employ physicians and treat patients. Florida, um, the general consensus is that um, Florida does not prohibit the corporate practice of medicine. However, if your corporation that's going to be hiring physicians is going to be billing third-party payers, you have to first get a healthcare clinic license from the Agency for Healthcare Administration before you can operate. And so that's uh, when I go to Eddie and I ask him to, to help me uh, get somebody licensed because uh, sometimes companies just come in and start operating. They have a great business model and there may or may not be a license that they needed ahead of time. 
All right, well, this question may be for Mia. If a healthcare provider in Florida gets a letter from the government about some sort of investigation or problem, what do they do? This is actually, I'm gonna answer it and then Shannon will add to it because um, she is very, very diligent in this space as well. But the, real, the first thing that they should do is contact their in-house counsel. What we often find with, you have a large facility and they get this letter or someone receives it and it sits on a desk. And we have had many instances where blown deadlines, you were given X number of days to respond to this letter, but it was sitting on someone's desk. And in Florida, you statutorily have 21 days to respond if you get an administrative complaint. And this administrative complaint, Nate, it could range from anywhere where they're seeking a fine or worse, revoking your license. So it's very important, I think, with these businesses, because by and large, I mean, let's face it, the day-to-day -day operations, these healthcare workers are working hard. The staff is working hard to treat patients and aren't necessarily nuanced to all of these things that are going on business-wise that impact their ability to treat the patients. So the, if they get a letter, any type of certified mail, which it usually comes, they need to make sure that that gets sent immediately to their in-house counsel so that they can either determine if it's something that they hire, that they can handle, if they need to bring in outside counsel. Um, also, depending on the severity of the situation and what the allegations are, Nate, if it's something that they forgot to screen an employee for their background screening to make sure that they are eligible for employment, that's something that's usually just a fine. But if in a nursing home, for example, um, if there has been an adverse incident that resulted in serious, a, a serious injury to one of the residents, or in some instances, death, the agency could be seeking to revoke their license. And Shannon and I have handled on numerous occasions where we have gone down on behalf of the facility of, of, of the corporation and interviewed all the witnesses, reviewed files. I mean, Shannon and I have spent, I mean, seriously, we have gone into our clients' facilities at midnight to interview and we're there from midnight till five in the morning interviewing the staff that work during those shifts to get to the bottom of what happened. So it can be an extremely complicated, intertwined, factual situation that's going to result in complex litigation that in the normal arena that you typically deal in, Nate, would take two years to get to trial. And it's probably going to be, it, it could potentially go to trial very quick. You know, once the litigation wheels get rolling, you could literally go to trial on a very complicated case in 60, 90 days. It works at warp speed. So the, I think the most important thing, if they, and another thing, which Shannon, and then I'll let you speak on this, we've had clients where the general counsel finds out a week later that ACA had sent a SWAT team of investigators <laughs> into the facility um, and was doing a, an investigation or what ACA calls a survey, which is really an investigation. They're pulling records. Um, they don't make a copy or make a note of what records are given. And so we're at a loss, you know, trying to guess 
at what they've looked at or what their thoughts are. Shannon, I know you've got some real thoughts on this. What are your suggestions? We've spent a lot of time in nursing homes, haven't we, Mia? <laughs> but what, one of the things I would say is, you know, maybe you don't have an in-house counsel and you get this notice from some state agency that says, um, you know, we're going to fine you $5,000 because you did X, Y, and Z. And you say, well, you know, we pretty much did X, Y, and Z, and I don't really want to incur the cost of an outside lawyer to look at this. So I'm going to just check this box that says that I agree, you know, I admit the deficiencies that are cited and I will pay my $5,000 and go and send no more. Well, the problem with that is that those same facts could then be used to deny the facility's renewal permit, which we've seen happen. And you've already admitted that you committed the violation. You've sort of given up any kind of defenses that could have been raised and you're in a, a difficult situation. We've also seen that, um, we've seen that with, with a number of state agencies where you just sort of accept the allegations and then that's discipline against your record. And then when you go to apply for another permit, uh, it could be used against you. So you have to read your mail and make sure that you respond to it appropriately and don't sign something that you don't quite understand. We also see situations, especially with COVID where the agencies are sending email requests to various people and maybe it doesn't go to the right person or maybe it gets lost and and uh, state regulators don't like being ignored so it's very important to be as responsive as you can be um, we also have situations where we get calls and um, they say well a regulator was uh, an inspector was just in my facility and they wanted records and i told them that those are um, trade secret and they should go pound sand i did the right thing right <laughs> <laughs> and you know, no. <laughs> we're not providing records access um, when when it's required. So you you definitely need uh, to make sure that you know what you're doing when you're dealing with uh, the Florida regulators. And and these are good people; they're not out to ruin your life. Um, but I would have you know to be honest, I I don't know that Florida is super duper business friendly when it comes to healthcare sometimes. One thing I would like to add that Mia brought up, and it's a biggie, as well as uh, we, that clients need to consider, or potential clients need to consider when they want to open up a business in the state, a healthcare business, is the background screening requirements. Uh, Florida requires uh, your owners who have 5% or more ownership, as well as officers and directors, as well as any worker who is going to provide personal care or have access to uh, customers' personal health information or personal financial information to be background screened. And that process also can take a period of time as well. So they need to be leery of that when they're applying for a particular license and make sure that everyone is uh, completed a background screening. And in an environment that we're living in, even though COVID has gotten better, a lot of these vendors were shut down who provided that background screening service. So that was another issue that clients had to consider when they were applying for these particular uh, licenses. And as, as Mia indicated, you may have an employee or a board member who may have did something 20 years ago, had an arrest, and it shows up on their background screening uh, results. And it's not the end of the world. Um, Mia has worked with uh, the agency in getting those issues resolved. Uh, and getting those applications continue to move forward. However, sometimes it can be very difficult when you're dealing with something that's stale like that. It happened 20 years ago. It was a, you know, 
mistake that happened to an individual. They were immature and they did something and got arrested. These local clerk of courts don't have the records now that they do have available at this particular time. Most of everything back in those days were paper, so it may be hard to try to satisfy ACA uh, background screening unit that this matter was just a minor and it has been resolved. Sometimes you have to get an affidavit from the clerk, of course, saying, you know, everything's been resolved. There's no further issues on this individual's record. So that's just something that you also have to be uh, in mind, taking into consideration when you uh, go into this process as well. And it's interesting too, we found out during COVID other obstacles that we hadn't even thought about where you have now, um, as our world gets smaller and smaller, you had companies that, that were in Canada. That's where their board members were. Um, that's where they're located. But they have to have their fingerprinting done in the United States. Well, during COVID, they weren't allowed to cross. The, they could not cross the border in the beginning stages because of the quarantining. So in order to get the fingerprints done, it was going to require a 14-day Quarantine. Remember that, Eddie, on, on that, that particular client. And so that, those were kind of dovetailing back, Nate, to what we were talking about before, some of the obstacles that you face, things like that that come up that are just the strangest thing. And frankly, I was just sitting here thinking we've kind of covered all different kinds of topics, what we've been talking about, and it's this and that. And that's really how it is. Literally, when we take a call, oftentimes, Shannon, Eddie, and I will be meeting with the client all together. And all these issues that we've talked about are the same type of analysis that we go through and advise our clients on. All these issues somehow impact and touch upon whether you're in assisted living, a home health care agency, a hospice, um, a medical device company. There's so many pieces and parts and timing issues um, that, that it is, and, and frankly, it's one of the reasons why I like practicing in healthcare because my daughter at first, when she tells people what I do, she's like, yeah, it's healthcare. And she says, I thought it was boring. She goes, but it's actually really not. And um, it does touch on a lot of different, different, different pieces. And one of the things that I think, Nate, that we could probably have another podcast on that we haven't even really touched on are all the healthcare boards and the regulatory bodies that are over at the Department of Health. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, Mia has a lot of experience getting providers out of very sticky situations with their licenses. <laughs> <laughs> because we know what my specialty is. That's crazy. That would be a good podcast. But she's good at getting people. And, and, and speaking of like your past criminal history and things like that, sometimes people forget that they had a DUI 100 years ago or they thought their record had been expunged. And so they check a box on an application swearing that they don't have any arrests or something like that. So things uh, can come back to haunt you for sure. But another thing that we would be remiss if we didn't mention is that sometimes in Florida, it's easier to go and try to get the law changed than to try to comply with a particular statute. Believe it or not, it's easier than you think to go and petition the Florida legislature to try to tweak a statute that is extremely problematic for your company. I mean, legislatures are just human and the, the wording of a statute might not work for your business. There's a lot of change in healthcare, a lot of rapid change in terms of digital health and things like that. And 
a statute that was written in the 80s just might not work anymore in 2021 or 2022. And you can go and try to get a change through the lobbying process and, and, and government relations. And it's, uh, it's uh, not always that difficult. So something to consider also when you're faced with an insurmountable problem. All right, well, I wanna thank our guests today. Uh, I've certainly learned a lot. I didn't know, for example, that uh, Mia and Shannon, you work the night shift as lawyers. I'm glad to know that, I'll keep that in mind. And Eddie, thank you also for your uh, informative discussion about what it takes to be licensed. Uh, most of all, we wanna thank all of you for joining us today. And we hope that you'll plan to join us for our next Florida Capital Conversations podcast. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Florida Capital Conversations. For more information on our Tallahassee office, please visit hklaw.com slash Tallahassee.